The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 10.45 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. I invite you to open your Bibles to John 8, verse 12. John 8, verse 12. Randy and I called each other this morning and coordinated to wear the same exact tie. I'm kidding. That was, that was providence. John, John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is one of those great verses that encompasses Christianity all in one verse. This is one of those verses like John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, in the life, no one comes to the Father except by me. This is, this is a great verse. This is a, a verse that explains the entirety of the Christian message right here. It's, it's profound. You notice the I am statement. I am. That is a reference to deity. Remember, the divine name that God gave to Moses was I am. I am. And when Jesus says, I am, he is claiming deity. This is the second I am statement in John's gospel. Remember in John 6, Jesus said, I am what? The bread of life. And now he says, I am the light of the world. If we take a step back and consider the profundity of what's going on, remember Jesus is teaching in the temple. And let's think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus worked as a carpenter in Nazareth, an obscure village until the age of 30. He never attended a formal school. That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees discounted him. He didn't have letters, so to speak. During his lifetime, he never wrote a book. He never won a military victory. He never ruled from a literal throne in a palace. He had little money. He never had a home. Yet this man stood up one day in the temple and claimed, I am the light of the world. And indeed, he is the light of the world. This is one of those great incarnation themes, one of the great Christmas themes that Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago as the light. And this is always made in a profound impression on me 
21 years ago is when I preached my first public sermon. My first public sermon. It was December. I was a junior in high school, and the Sunday night before Christmas, uh, Tallawood Baptist Church in Houston said, the students are going to lead the Sunday night worship. And somehow I was selected to be the student preacher for the Sunday night worship service. I think it was December 23rd, 2001. And the verse that I selected to be the verse for my message was John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. I don't remember much about that message. I don't think many people remember much about the message. As I was thinking back this week, I remembered one of the illustrations that I used. I said, you know, everybody really understands this theme of light and darkness. Even Hollywood understands this. The cowboys in the old westerns wore white hats, and the bad guys all wore dark hats. You see the profound illustrations I was, I was using? No. This, this text has always had a profound impact on me, and I think on, in Christians throughout the centuries. The first Christian hymn was called the Phos Hilarion, and Phos means light, and Hilarion means gladdening. It was the gladdening light. Jesus is the gladdening light. That's the first Christian hymn that we have outside of Scripture. If you look at this word light, like I said, it's the, it's the word phos. Uh, I think it's used about 70 times in the New Testament, over 20 of which are in John's gospel. John says in 1 John 1, 5 that God is light. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all, speaking about the essence of the purity of God, the holiness of God, and that God brings this light into the dark world in Jesus Christ. This was prophesied, Isaiah prophesied, that a light would come into the darkness. You remember Isaiah 9-2? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And Isaiah said in Isaiah 60, verse 2, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. So Jesus comes proclaiming to be the light of the world, representing God, fulfilling the prophecies given in the Old Testament that a light would come into the world and dispel the darkness over the nations. This morning, I want to answer four simple questions for you about this light. First, what is it? Second, what's its purpose? Third, how do we receive it? And then fourth, what is the result? What is the result of receiving it? So first question, what is the light? What does Jesus mean when He says, I am the light of the world? And I want you to notice three things about this light. First, the light represents the knowledge of God. The light represents the knowledge of God. Man's greatest need 2,000 years ago today is to know God. That is man's greatest need, is to know the living God. Because God is our creator, 
God is the one who created you. He crafted you in your mother's womb, and he created you to know him, and he created you for a purpose, to live for his glory, to live in relationship with him. And for that reason, we can't understand this world unless we understand it in relationship to God. We can't understand this world unless we understand it in relationship to God. There was a French philosopher, Jean-Paul Sartre, who right after World War II, he was very cynical. He's very cynical just seeing the, the, the ravages of the war. And he said, God does not exist. God does not exist. And therefore, there is no fixed point by which we are to govern ourselves. There's no fixed point. Man, he said, is absolutely free. You are absolutely free. But it's a purposeless freedom. You are free to do whatever you want, but there's, there's no purpose to life. And of course, Scripture says the exact opposite. Calvin said the two most important things that you can know are, one, to know God, and two, to know yourself. To know God and to know yourself. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of yourself is like having a map. Have you ever been lost and you're thinking, where am I? The knowledge of God is the map. It orients you to this world. This world was created by a sovereign God. He created us for a specific purpose. And then in understanding who God is, we understand ourselves. We understand where we are on that map. It's no good just to have the map and not know, not know where you are. You need to know where you are on that map. And that's what the knowledge of God is and what the knowledge of self is. And so when we know God... Everything begins to make sense. Solomon said, Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You don't have wisdom until you know God. And you don't know God unless you know Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reveal God to us. Did you hear the, the verse that Jake read earlier? If you look over to John chapter 1, turn over to John 1 very quickly. John 1 verse 18. This is what John says in the prologue. He says, no one has ever seen God. No one's ever seen God, the only God. But the only God who is at the Father's side that's the Son of God. That's Jesus Christ. He has made Him known. He has made Him known. That last phrase is where we get our English word exegete. The Son has exegeted the Father. The Son has disclosed the Father. That's what Jesus came. He came to reveal the knowledge of God to us. If you look up earlier in verse 4 of chapter 1, John says, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus came to reveal God, and the darkness has not overcome what he came to reveal. So the grand secret to knowing God is to know Jesus Christ. That's the grand secret of the Christian life. Jesus reveals to us the knowledge of God. If you want to know God, you have to look at Jesus Christ. If you turn back to 
to John 8. This leads to the second thing I want you to see about this light, and that is that it's exclusive. The light is exclusive. Notice that Jesus uses the word the in front of light. He doesn't say, I am a light in the world. He says, I am the light of the world. Implication, he is the only light. John says in John 1, 9, that he is the true light, which gives light to everyone. Man is looking for answers to the malaise of life, to the depression in life. More people are depressed today than you can possibly imagine. More people are on medicated drugs than you could possibly imagine trying to deal with the despondency in their own life. Jesus says, I am the true light. I am the only light. Our world has produced many false lights, hasn't it? Go look at the self-help section in Barnes and Noble. It's the same old ideas that are recycled. It's stoicism, basically that you can get through life if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, if you just have a regimented schedule and you just keep a stiff upper lip when you encounter troubles and you persevere and you work through it and you grind and you have grit, then you're really going to be successful. Have you heard that? That sells, doesn't it? Because it works for a time until you get tired and it doesn't work. Or there's Buddhism, which is you look inside yourself. Buddhism is the idea that you can find transcendence by looking into you that if you get alone and you close your eyes and you think and you meditate and you peer down into the depths of your own soul, that you will arrive at a level of transcendence. Or there's Islam. Much of the world follows the teaching of Muhammad that he supposedly received from Allah, and it's a works religion. There's five pillars, and Muhammad said, look, you do these things, and you're going to go to heaven with Allah, and if, and if you do other things, you're going to have virgins alongside of that. It just completely works. Many people in America today have revived what the Greeks and Romans practice as Epicureanism, which is essentially there is no future. There is no heaven. There's no hell. It's just death. Therefore, today we are going to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we are going to die. That's the future. So live life, enjoy it while you can. And then you have various American cults, Mormonism, that's the original one, said Jesus is a light. You talk to a Mormon missionary, they will argue Jesus is a light. He is a God, but you can become a God like him. He's the first one, but you can follow in his steps and become the Son of God just like him. And then you have just the, the pop psychology of light and darkness. I was listening to a song this week by Mumford and Sons, and they said, because even when there is no star in sight, you will always be my guiding light. It's the idea that another person can be your guiding light. Another person can, can help you navigate this world. And to all of that, to all of that, Jesus says no. 
I am the exclusive light. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the reason for this is simple, is Jesus Christ is the only person who died on a cross to save sinners. Jesus Christ is the only person who offers the forgiveness of sins. Truly man, truly God, died on the cross to save sinners. And also, he's the only man to ever be resurrected from the dead with a resurrection body. You want resurrection hope? You will only find it in Christianity. That's why the apostle says there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you can be saved. There's no other name. There's no other light. And that right there, that right there is what the world hates about Christianity. And that's what the world hates about Jesus. If you talk about Jesus as a good teacher, you talk about Jesus being a good man, people love that Jesus. It's the exclusive Jesus that the world hates. It's the Jesus that says, I am the light. Everything else is going to perish in a pit of darkness someday. I am the light. And so you have to deal with Jesus on his own terms. He said, I am the light. So he's either, as, as C.S. Lewis said, he's either a liar. He was either lying about that. He's either crazy or he is who he said he is. He is Lord. We must deal with Jesus on his own terms. And third thing I want you to see about this light is that it's an inclusive light. It's a light for the world. It is a light for the world, not for the Jew only, but for the nations, for the Gentiles. That's what I think Jesus means by that word world, is he's speaking about the inclusivity of his mission. He didn't just come to save the Jew. He came to save the nations, the Gentiles. If you read the birth narratives of Christ carefully, in Luke's gospel, you read that Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus on the eighth day to the temple to be dedicated and circumcised. And when they came into the temple, probably near this exact spot where Jesus is teaching, there was an old man named Simeon, a prophet. And he came and he took that baby in his arms. And Simeon quoted Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49. Listen to what Simeon said, probably in the exact spot where Jesus is teaching. He said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. That's what Jesus means by world. He's saying, I came on a mission to reveal the knowledge of God to the Jew and to the Gentile. Uh, later in John's gospel, some Greeks are going to come to Philip. They, they want to see Jesus and Philip comes to Jesus, and Jesus says this in John 12, 32, talking about 
when he is crucified. He said, and I am to be lifted up from the earth. I will draw all people to myself, all people to myself. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he gathered his disciples, and and right before he was lifted up from the earth, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He said, go ye therefore into all the nations, the nations, making disciples. So the mission, the light, was to go to all peoples. Look around you this morning. We're 2,000 years after the fact. And what are we doing? We are here celebrating the light of the world. Gentile people. Our ancestors walked in darkness. Our ancestors were heathen savages. You go back far enough. They were. They were savages. Worshiping pagan gods lost in darkness, and God brought the light of the world to you. Isn't that remarkable? John says, John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For 2,000 years, the darkness has not overcome the light. News to you, I don't care how bad it gets in this country, how bad it gets in the West, how much social media tries to suppress the message, the light will still shine in the darkness until the Lord returns. So that answers the question, what is the light? Now we need to look at what is the light's purpose? What is the light's purpose? Why did Jesus come into the world? And the short answer to that is the purpose of the light is to overcome the darkness to overcome the darkness. Jesus calls the great problem of man darkness. Notice this next phrase, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That's the problem, is that we naturally walk in darkness. And of course, darkness, that word is representative of spiritual evil. That's what darkness represents, spiritual evil. Both an evil outside of you and an evil inside of you. There is an evil that is outside of you. John says in 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan is the God of this world. John 12, Jesus says that Satan is the ruler of of this world. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that we live in an evil age. This world that we live in is evil. We are presented with temptations to lust and covet all around us. Paul says, Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you not see that the world outside you today is evil? Everywhere you look, it's evil. This past summer, Grace Anna's brother was getting married, and we were talking to him 
uh, the, the, the wedding was out in California, and we were talking to him before we went out there, and he said, yeah, I think possibly long-term, um, my future wife and I might like to leave California because it's so dark out here. And our, our response to him was, man, it's dark everywhere. I mean, California might be dark, but it's dark in, in, in North Carolina. Well, we got on the plane, flew out there, and a couple days before the wedding, we decided to go to the Griffith Observatory. It's, that's the observatory right next to the, the Hollywood sign in, in uh, Beverly Hills. And for whatever reason, we parked the car like a mile and a half, two miles down the hill. And so we, it was, it was a great hike, but we start walking on the sidewalk on, on this meandering road all the way up the hill. And on the way up there, we start to notice the decals on the back of the cars. Just awful, um, explicit decals. And so we're starting to, to shield the kids from what they're seeing on the decals. And we start to notice the conversations of the people that are walking down laced with profanity. So we're trying to keep the kids uh, away from that. And I remember Grayson and I looked at ourselves and we said, man, this place, it really is dark. It really is evil. So we finish the walk. We get up there and we go to get in the Griffith Observatory and we were denied because we didn't have vaccine passports. <laughs> and that settled it. We were like, this is, this is a dark place. I can understand. I can understand why he wants to leave. But no. <laughs> is not the world we live in a dark world? A world that is filled with evil at every turn, at every step? It's not Mayberry anymore. In fact, it never was Mayberry. It was a dark world 2,000 years ago, and it's a dark world today. It's not just darkness outside of us, though. It's darkness inside. It's darkness inside. It's easy for us to point the finger out there. We also have to point the finger right here. Ever since our first parents sinned, they plunged us into sin and internal darkness. Sometimes the Bible refers to this as spiritual blindness, a spiritual blindness. And this manifests itself in two ways. First, our affections are disordered. Our affections are disordered. I want you to turn to the left to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 19. John chapter 3, 19. The apostle John writes this. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That word love is the same word that's used to describe God's love for us. Agapao. It's that unconditional love. What John says is, is that naturally we have a love for darkness, a love for evil rather than the light, because our works are evil. That's what we love. We long and lust after what we shouldn't desire. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light. It's not just that we're neutral to the light. It's not just that we 
don't have an inclination towards the light, it's that we hate the light. We hate it and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. We have a moral hatred towards Christ in our unconverted state because he exposes us for who we really are. Jesus said, John 7, 7, he says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. It hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. That's another reason why the world doesn't like the real Jesus. One, he claims to be the only way. Two, he testifies that its works are evil. If you turn back to to John 8, the, the second way that we're affected by this internal darkness is that our minds are disordered. Our minds are disordered. How we think is off. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Remember, we talked about that the only way for you to truly understand this world is to know God. So if you don't know God, you don't understand this world. Your orientation is off kilter. Therefore, you don't understand yourself. You don't understand yourself as an, image ba- as an image bearer that's created male and female. You don't understand who you are. Isn't that what we're seeing today in the world? A world that's cut itself off from the mothership and doesn't know where they are? It's exactly what's happening. And so the result of this darkness is always the same. It is always the same, is that man is dark internally, he's surrounded by darkness externally, and by virtue of that, man always descends. Man always descends into evil. Jeremiah says the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart of man is desperately wicked. Man always descends. Man always descends. Look at every empire that's been founded since the beginning of the world. What happens? They descend. They become corrupted from the inside. Man does not naturally become more virtuous, but more evil. The elites in our culture today will tell you that we've advanced, that we're on the right side of history that we're more moral, that we're more virtuous than our predecessors, that we have greater technology. But that's a lie. We're still just as dark as we ever have been. Just look at the 20th century to prove it. Just look at the 20th century. You have atomic energy discovered. You have electricity Advancing, you have the the automobile, flight, and how did man use those things? To engineer mass ways to kill people. To engineer mass ways to kill people. Why was World War I started? Because an archduke was assassinated? Serbia? Really? It started because nations were thirsty for greed for more land, for pride, and to rub other countries' noses in it. All for what? The loss of millions of lives. 
World War II, the exact same. Hitler said, we need more land. We're going to expand. I want revenge. First thing they do, Blitzkrieg, Poland, France, take Paris, six weeks. Takes the French to the exact train car where the Treaty of Versailles was signed. Rubbed their nose in it. He had the, he had the car transported to the exact place where they signed the Treaty of World War I. He said, yeah. How about that? Just pride, arrogance, greed, lust, covetousness. We have all this technology, but man is just as evil as he ever was. The default state of every person is darkness. Jesus says, John 12, 35, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Friend, when you walk into a grocery store or a, a business establishment, you need to realize that if the person you are interacting with does not know Christ, that that is them. They walk in darkness and they do not know where they are going. I don't care how successful they are. I don't care if they're a celebrity. I don't care if they are, they are a person of power. If they do not know God, they do not know where they are going. They walk in the darkness, spiritually speaking. They walk in the darkness. They don't know where they are, and they don't know where they're going. Have you ever tried to walk in darkness? Have you ever been in a place where you didn't have a flashlight and you literally couldn't see? When I was training up in Quantico, Virginia, they did this thing with us called land navigation. And that's where you had to be able to use a map and a compass. And you weren't allowed to use a GPS. And you had to go find places in the terrain. You, they would give you grid coordinates, and you would have to use your compass and go figure out where those places are. And you'd write down a little number on a box and come back and report, and they'd see how many of those places that you found. And I actually loved doing that. That was a, that was, it was a challenge, but it was a lot of fun. Just, to, to have those coordinates and go find those places. But one of the things that they had us do before we could graduate from the basic school is an exercise called night land navigation. Night land navigation. And that's where you had to go do it at night. And, oh, you couldn't use a flashlight because that would give away your position to the enemy. So you had to do it in the dark. And the night our company went out to do night land navigation, there was no loom. I don't know where the moon was. The stars were behind clouds. And it was one of those nights where you get into the woods, you couldn't see anything in front of your face. In fact, we put on goggles. We put on goggles so we wouldn't get stuck in the eye with, with limbs and, and tree branches. And so we're all out. Just imagine you, 250 second lieutenants unleashed into the Quantico terrain at night, not knowing where they are going, trying to find different boxes. It was a fiasco. It was a nightmare. And one of the things that was interesting about the terrain is right in the middle of this place where we were looking for the, these boxes, there was a creek right in the middle. And the water was about four or five feet deep. So if, you wanted, if your box was on the other side, you had to cross that creek. And the, 
the, uh, the walls of that creek bed were about eight feet tall. I mean, so this, this is a difficult terrain feature. And one of the things I distinctly remember until this day, because you were worried about falling into that creek, you would know how close you were to the creek because you would hear the screams of the other lieutenants follow, <laughs> falling down the embankment into the creek. That was the means by which you had to navigate, is the sound of the lieutenants screaming, falling. And spiritually speaking, in many ways, that's how so many people navigate this world. They have no idea where they are going spiritually. And the only means by which they have to, to navigate are the screams of their friends and family. Oh, man, that was bad. I shouldn't do that. Oh, man, that was a poor decision. I shouldn't do that. But they have no light, no fixed point. And yet Jesus really is the answer. And the only answer, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And until you come to me, you will walk in darkness. So that's the answer to the second question, why the light came. The third question, how do you receive the light? How do you receive the light? It's not enough to know that Jesus is the light of the world. It's not enough to be around the things of God. It's not enough to come to church. True Christianity doesn't begin until you submit your life to Christ, until you begin to follow Him. Look what Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. The verb follow is akaluthio. It means to surrender your life to Him. And the way that Jesus uses this word follow is it's synonymous with believing in John's gospel. It's synonymous with trusting Christ in faith and believing in him. Jesus says, John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then in, G in Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To truly trust in Jesus, to truly believe in him, you must be his follower. That is real saving faith. J.C. Ryle said, what the teacher is to the scholar the master to the servant, the guide to the traveler, the general to the soldier, the shepherd to the sheep. That is Christ to true Christians. He is our master, and we are his servants. He is our general, and we are his soldiers. We follow him. And it's not until you follow him, look what Jesus says, that you escape the darkness. You escape the darkness the moment that you begin to follow him. Did any of you grow up in Roman Catholicism or perhaps a church, maybe a more liberal church that didn't have the gospel? You were around the things of God. You were at church on Sunday. You were singing Christian hymns. You heard the scripture reading, but it never clicked for you. You never understood the free grace of salvation. Well, Jesus says, you're not 
in the light until the moment it clicks. It doesn't matter how long you're surrounded by Christian things or even in a Christian family. What matters is, is that you come to follow Christ. That's why the, the language that the Reformers used to describe the Reformation was post-tenebras lux, after darkness, light. And you think about Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and all these guys serving as priests for years in, in the Roman Catholic Church, and they describe their experience in that church as darkness. And it was the light of the gospel that brought them into the light. Jesus says, you must choose to follow me. And at that moment, when you believe, then you come into the light. John 12, 36 says, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. You must believe. You must choose to follow Christ. It's like those time traveler movies Maybe you saw the, 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 um, the, the Time Traveler or Stargate or any, any of those old uh, Time Traveler movies. The knowledge of what's on the other side doesn't happen until you pull the lever. The knowledge of the other side doesn't happen until you jump through the portal. The light doesn't happen. The light doesn't turn on for you until you trust in Christ until you follow him. Before that, it's all just charades and, and schemes and, and philosophy. The light comes on when you follow Christ, and then you become a son of the light. And so that's the invitation to you this morning, is have you truly begun to follow Christ? Don't assume just because you've grown up in the church that you're a follower of Christ. Have you truly begun to follow Christ? Jesus is the light of the world. Trust in him, believe in him, follow him. And at that moment today, you will be transported from darkness to light. From darkness to light. So will you follow Christ? Trust Christ and come into the light? And then fourth, finally, what's the result of the light? What's the result of coming into the light? Look at the last phrase in verse 12. But you will have the light of life. You will have the light of life. You could say the living light, the living light. We know that light produces life. Light literally causes photosynthesis and growth in plants, but it's also representative of true spirituality that when you possess the light, you possess divine life. Henry Skugel wrote a book called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. It's the light of God in the soul of man. So there's several results of this light in your life. The first, obviously, is knowledge. You now possess the knowledge of God in basic knowledge of what the world really is. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When you know Christ, when you know Christ, the world begins to make a lot more sense. 
you now know that your sins are forgiven. You now know that you stand on his righteous life, that you don't have to earn salvation. You now have a purpose for living, that you are now here for his glory and his honor, that you are now a witness to, to those that are lost to shine the, his light into the world. And we also have a Bible, which we are now able to understand, which coordinates to the, the Holy Spirit's light within us. Psalmist says, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So for the Christian, we have the knowledge of God and knowledge of the world because this light has come into our lives. Second result of this life is purity, holiness. Jesus' followers begin to walk in moral purity because Jesus has called us into the light. I'm not going to have you turn there, but Paul says in Ephesians 5.8, he says, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So as believers, we are called to walk in the light. That's part of this life. When you became a believer, this is, one of the, this is one of the interesting dynamics of Christianity is you now desire holiness. You now desire purity. You now desire to be close to God, to draw near to God. Where before you wanted to be in the world, you loved your sin, and the things of God seem like a chore to you. You're like, man, I don't want to be in church. I want to be watching football. I want to be working on my car. I want to be hunting. I don't want to be with the people of God. That's for pansies. Then all of a sudden, you're saved. You're like, man, I can't wait to study the Word of God. I can't wait to walk in purity. Sometimes on the way in, almost every Sunday morning, I, I drive the, the kids in, and we listen to an old DC Talk song on the way into church called In the Light. Anybody remember In the Light from 1996? It says, I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. That's the desire of the Christian. You now want to be in the light. You want to shine like the stars in the heavens. And, and this is one thing that I think, for whatever reason, modern American evangelicalism has not taken holiness and purity seriously. We want so much to win the world that we've become like the world. But the desire of the true Christian is always holiness, purity, to walk in the light. And third result of this living life is that we have a witness in this world. We have a witness in this world. Jesus said to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, he, said, he looked at them and he said what? You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. Don't let your light be hidden. You see, Christ takes residence in the heart of the believer. Paul says, Colossians 1.27, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so we become many lights. Not that we're the Son of God like Jesus, but 
His light reflects in us. And think about this. As you're going around doing everything this Christmas, for many people, you are the only light of Christ they will ever experience. Your light. The way that you live, the way that you speak, the way that you love your neighbor, the way that you love your enemies, the way that you carry yourself, the way that you honor God. All those things are seen, and all of those things are a reflection of His light. When Jesus stood up in the temple and he said, I am the light of the world, there's one more picture that the Jews of that day would have thought about. Do you remember when the children of Israel were led out of Egypt? God was with them, but how was God with them? God was with them in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God led the children of Israel for over 40 years in the wilderness by a pillar of fire. So literally, you think about how simple that is. What do you have to do if you're an Israelite to get to the Holy Land? What do you have to do? Follow the light. All you have to do is look up and see the huge inferno above your head and follow the light. That's all you have to do. Could it be more simple? And what God did is He took the children of Israel all the way from Egypt up to the promised land, leading them by a light. Leading them by a light. What God does now with you is something so much better is he puts that light right here. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And God leads you by the light of Christ all the way from here until glory. All the way until he takes you home or he comes back, whichever one comes first. He guides you. Guides you internally by his spirit and externally, through this word, God guides you by his light. So from here unto eternity, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. In the words of one of my old seminary professors, he said, it's all good. It's all good. Whatever happens, whatever bad things happen, if you are a Christian, you have the light of the world. And all you have to do is follow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this truth that you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world who came into this dark world and you overcame the darkness, that you provided a way of forgiveness of sins through your death, burial, and resurrection. We pray, Lord, for the person who came in this morning living in darkness. We pray, Lord, that in this darkness that they would see the light that you promise that all those who come to you, that all those who follow you will no longer walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What glorious news. What an incredible message. We thank you, Lord, for this truth. We thank you, Lord, for the light that is within us, that those of us who are believers, that will guide us until the day that we return home. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We are so thankful 
for what you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.